It's Daily Thunder, thundering out the truth of Jesus Christ live every morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more about our discipleship programs or to support this podcast, visit ellerslie.com. Now, here's Eric Lee. We're going to hit the next installment of our Spiritual Lessons from World War II series, and this one is called The Fearless Fellowship. I think uh, all of you that have shared in this uh, COVID-19 uh, season of quarantine and lockdown, I think you're going to appreciate this one. There's a lot in this that has been stirring to me, and it's I, I've been working for a long time trying to gain articulation to my burden in regards to some of these things. And for those of you that have been following me around through the, the quarantine season, you know that I've spent a lot of time on Zoom. And uh, in fact, if you've seen me on Zoom or spent time with me on Zoom, just multiply that by about five uh, times and you probably get the idea of how much time I'm spending on Zoom. Uh, at the very beginning of the lockdown, I was on uh, in a prayer call every morning, some mornings twice, I think it was like six mornings out of the week. I think it was Saturday morning that I wasn't doing it. And then we tapered that off to the point where now I'm, I'm in two. But it, it, it's been exhilarating. It's been uh, really uh, life-giving. It's been beautiful. But everyone that has spent time on Zoom, uh, especially as much time as, uh, you know, the business people, the school, the, the, you know, those that are in school, because <laughs> it's like the replacement for live learning, uh, we would say, hey, we appreciate Zoom. It's wonderful that it's there, but boy, we could go the rest of our life without being on Zoom and be perfectly satisfied. In other words, it's a gift right now for the body of Christ since many of us have been prohibited uh, from being able to gather. It's a gift that we can still gather. However, I want to emphasize something, and that is that Zoom gatherings or digital gatherings cannot replace face-to-face gatherings. And that's an important thing, and I'm going to emphasize that throughout this time because I don't want us to be conned into thinking that it can. It is very significant in the body of Christ today that we recognize that with the advent of digital technology and all of the ways that we can encounter people, that there is something that God designed us for, which is face-to-face, man-to-man, proximity, Uh, together in one place, in one accord. There is something there that is not to be relegated to a lower level because of CDC statements. It really doesn't matter what the world states, what politicians state, it matters what God states. And as a result, we as the body of Christ must maintain our position in the midst of this with the integrity of view of our idea of gathering. It's God's idea, but we adopt it. So this is called the fearless fellowship. And we're going to uh, be presently in 1941. Uh, On Wednesday's uh, Daily Thunder, the previous one uh, in this series, it was called Operation Redbeard, which was uh, the creative term for Operation Barbarossa, which is Hitler's campaign against uh, Soviet Russia. It's a surprise attack. It's it's a diabolical stab in the back. Uh, Stalin trusted Hitler. Hitler wanted to deceive Stalin. He wanted Stalin and the communists to pay. And boy, do they. 27 million lives are going to be lost on the Russian side. So if you're here or streaming this, you can actually see the, the picture I have. I have a picture of Roosevelt and Churchill on board uh, the uh, HMS uh, Prince of Wales uh, for a, a service that they're going to have. 
And uh, this, I'm calling this the meeting, August 9th, 1941. And it's in Placentia Bay, Newfoundland. And if you were to say, where in the world is that? It's okay. That's actually very reasonable that you wouldn't have a clue where that is because it was supposed to be a place that no one would ever guess. It is a place basically in the middle of nowhere. And these two are going to choose to meet in secret because they felt that in the midst of this war, now that Russia had been brought in, there was a threat of the Japanese uh, joining the, the battle. You, the United States at this exact point is not even in the war. They have not declared war on anyone. No one has declared war on them. They are a neutral bystander that is definitely leaning in the favor of the Allies at this point. But uh, Roosevelt and Churchill have begun to become friends, mainly through telegrams and uh, through phone calls and a lot of letters written. They are actually beginning to gain an affinity for one another. They both are recognizing they share common values. They share common thought processes. And they need to make some big decisions. And they could do it by te via telegram. They could do it via letter. They could do it via phone call. However, I could add to that, by the way, just to make my point. They could do it via Zoom. Instead, they feel it is necessary to risk their lives to meet in Placentia Bay, Newfoundland. So, June 22nd, 1941, Operation Barbarossa. So, August 9th, what are we, a month and a half uh, later? So, you see how quickly things are beginning to happen. Of course, quickly. That doesn't sound very quickly. But when you're having to go by boat across the ocean, this is pretty quick. And so, they are saying it's of necessity that we meet. We need to discuss these things because Stalin is now demanding the Allies' help. It's a, it's a funny thing. Uh, Stalin is... First of all, he's ignoring the Allies. It's sort of like, I don't care what happens to you. And, and the Allies are saying to Stalin, you can't trust Hitler. He doesn't have uh, good intentions towards you. He says, I trust Hitler more than I trust you. And so as a result, now that Hitler has attacked him, he comes to the Allies and begins to demand their help. And so Stalin isn't the easiest guy to deal with, but I have a, a message in the very near future on that. Uh, this We're not going to focus on that today. So... Uh, I have some really cool pictures uh, here, and on my screen, they sort of bloat and go beyond. If we were in our Studio 29 building, they would like fit perfectly on there, but uh, this is called the HMS Prince of Wales. It is a 103-foot-long uh, George V-class battleship, uh, King George uh, V-class battleship, and it's, it's huge, and all throughout, if you study uh, Winston Churchill and his writings, he really liked this ship, so you could just sort of tell. He has a smile on his face whenever he starts talking about this ship or is on this ship. And so uh, that's going to be a part of, that's going to be a character in our story. And by the way, HMS means His Majesty's uh, ship. Uh, USS Augusta, which means the United States ship Augusta. And this is a Northampton class cruiser, 66 feet. And so that'll teach you not to come to the live versions of, of Daily Thunder. You're missing this. Of course, some of you are streaming it and you can still see it. But those are some pretty cool ships. So any of you that really like looking at ships, this was a fun, uh, what, 30 seconds there? That was, that was really neat. Those two will be characters in this story. That's why I'm introducing you to them. So Winston Churchill says this. One afternoon in late July 1941, I added that, by the way, just to give you some timetable here. Harry Hopkins came into the garden of Downing Street, and we sat together in the sunshine. Harry Hopkins is an inch. I've, I've thought of doing a session just on Harry Hopkins, but Harry Hopkins is sort of the right-hand man to Franklin Roosevelt. 
He is not even a politician. He has no position in government. He's the guy the president trusts. So he sends him on his most sacred missions. And so now he's actually meeting with Churchill. And so they sat together in the sunshine. Uh, presently, he said that the president, which is Roosevelt, would like very much to have a meeting with me in some lonely bay or other. I replied at once that I was sure the cabinet would give me leave. Thus, all was soon arranged. Placentia Bay in Newfoundland was chosen. The date of August 9 was fixed, and our latest battleship, the Prince of Wales, was placed under orders accordingly. I had the keenest desire to meet Mr. Roosevelt, with whom I had now corresponded with increasing intimacy for nearly two years. Moreover, a conference between us would proclaim the ever closer association of Britain and the United States, would cause our enemies concern, make Japan ponder, and cheer our friends. There was also much business to be settled about American intervention in the Atlantic, aid to Russia, our own supplies, and above all, the increasing menace of Japan. So I'm going to call this the Fearless Fellowship of the Allies. And then on the same screen it says, and its effects. This is an audacious thing to do. For them to meet in, in Placentia Bay in this exact situation, the dangers that lie there. I mean, could you imagine sticking all of uh, Great Britain's, the, stick their prime minister and all their war cabinet, basically, on the Prince of Wales and set it out into the Atlantic where there are German U-boats just waiting in wolf packs to take down any movement, especially something like this. And if they ever caught wind that all the strength, the war strength of Great Britain was on that ship, well, you could just imagine how much attention they're going to give it. And also, the President of the United States is doing the same thing. And so this is, it's, a, it's a fun study, actually. I'll give you a, a few little behind-the-scenes pictures of it. But, uh, so this is the effects. This is what they are interested in doing. It would proclaim the ever-closer association of Britain and the United States. It would cause our enemies concern. It would make Japan ponder, and it would cheer our friends. See, there's something about the body of Christ right now finding ways to meet. Now, there's been all sorts of creative ways that people have done it. You know, there's the drive-in church and, you know, Zoom. And I'm sure that others have come up with solutions. Because when you have a 10 uh, maximum uh, attendance type of a thing in one room, that really uh, puts a damper on the ability to meet. Because, I mean, just in our church, we have multiple families with more than 10 in the entire family. So could you imagine how fun that is for them? Okay, guys, it's your turn to come to church, and they're the only ones that are there. I can't even show up. In other words, that doesn't make any sense. This is irrational. This can't continue. And so as a result, you see in this story this need, this need for the face-to-face, -face, this need for the touch, this need for the man-to-man. -man. And I'm going to say in the church that I want to play that up right now. I want us to begin to prayerfully consider how we can have our placentia bay. I'm not talking about disregarding uh, the government. I'm talking about aggressively doing what we can to begin to establish the church. This is going to weaken the church unless we begin to gather again. And as a result, we're going to need to begin to prayerfully consider how to do this. And I'm, I'm taking it very seriously in my own life. I want to be with the body of Christ. And so what does that mean? What does that look like? How do we do these things? I desire to show respect to a government. I desire to show respect to Governor Polis here in Colorado. I desire to show respect to my county and uh, my local uh, municipality in every regard I can. 
So how do I do that and heed the word of God simultaneously? Should we continue in Zoom? Should we just continue that for time immemorial? What if this goes on for years? So this is where, as Eric, I'm saying, all right, Lord, give us wisdom as the body of Christ. I see in, in this story, I see the wisdom that is given them. And what is going to come out of this face-to-face meeting is going to change the course of history. So as a result, I do not take it lightly. The power of gathering. So I'm not going to say there isn't a power to Zoom gathering, because there has been. And I think all of us that have participated in it have noticed that there is a tremendous strength to gathering via Zoom. And yet, there is something even greater to gathering face-to-face. And I don't want that to be understated in the body of Christ. So listen to this. In a time of war, there is a great significance to gathering face-to-face. Now, I'm going to read that again because I want you to say, well, we're not in war. Oh, wait a minute. Pause. Or are we? In a time of war, there is a great significance to gathering face-to-face. Paul the Apostle is going to go out of his way to declare we are in the midst of a battle. He says, put on the armor of God because there is an enemy that is desiring to devour you. He has fiery arrows and you need your weapons so that you can stand. And in a time of war, there is a great significance to gathering face to face. I I don't know how you guys function, okay? I've only been one person in one body uh, and I'm a unique personality and I have quirks in how I work. I like to pace when I'm in meetings and I'm sure not everyone is that way. However, I do so much better in meetings when I'm with someone face-to-face. And I don't care if I'm six feet from him. I still do better face-to-face. And so as a result, I notice that. Now, Zoom, you could say, well, that's face-to-face. Yeah, but there's also in-presence, in-proximity. There's something to it that has a magical heavenly quality to it. I think God intended it that way. So here's Winston Churchill again. The utmost secrecy was necessary because of the large number of U-boats when in the North Atlantic. So here they are. They're going to be making their journey. And uh, Churchill is admitting, okay, we need the utmost secrecy here, guys, because we have a very, very important cargo that is coming across the North Atlantic right now. So the president, who was ostensibly on a holiday cruise, ostensibly means uh, supposedly, but it may not be true, Yes, it was a blind is what it's called. In other words, where they wanted anyone that was uh, looking, even the American people, anyone that was wondering where President Roosevelt was, he was on a holiday cruise. And so it says, who was ostensibly on a holiday cruise, he transshipped or changed ships at sea to the cruiser Augusta and left his yacht behind him as a blind. Isn't that cool? I mean, this is like a great movie right here. You have this like secret exchange of ships where the president of the United States is, sh- is shifting where he's at just to fool everyone, anyone that could be on looking, including the American public. He doesn't want any whispering of where he's going because he's going to meet with the prime minister of Great Britain. So just to give you an idea of where Placentia Bay is and why you've probably never heard of it or seen it or been there, Uh, It seems to be in the middle of nowhere uh, there. I mean, I've been to Prince Edward Island, which is, you know, up near Maine. But this is, uh, you know, a good deal forward into the Atlantic Ocean in the Newfoundland Newfoundland direction, sort of more towards Greenland. But you see on the other side of the map, of course, those of you that can't see this, this is really confusing. But uh, you have this whole map. You see the United States. You see the United Kingdom on the other side of the Atlantic Ocean. So that's a good bit of a journey for Winston Churchill. So that'll give you at least a little context uh, as he's talking in the upcoming uh, slides here. 
I like this. Uh, there were several U-boats reported. So these German, those are submarines, uh, German submarines. Several U-boats reported, which we made zigzags and wide diversions to avoid. Absolute wireless silence was sought. Don't communicate with us. And so Winston Churchill, who has been in the midst of a cacophony of noise for years now, because he's the prime minister, every little telegram, every cable, I mean, it's just ding, 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 buzz, 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 is now going to go into absolute silence. Boy, wouldn't this be nice for all this? Doesn't this sound a little like our quarantine? In fact, his journey across the North Atlantic sounds like our last six weeks. Everything about it sounds very familiar. I added this in, not because it helps the story, but I, I almost did an entire session on it, uh, just it's in of, of itself, because I thought it was so humorous. Thus, there was a lull in my daily routine and a strange sense of leisure, which I had not known since the war began. So this is quarantine 2020. For the first time for many months, I could read a book for pleasure. Oliver Littleton, Minister of State in Cairo, had given me Captain Hornblower, RN, which I found vastly entertaining. When a, ch when a chance came, I sent him the message, I find Hornblower admiral, admirable. This caused perturbation in the Middle East headquarters where it was imagined that Hornblower was a code word for some special operation of which they had not been told. See, I just really liked that story. I thought that was hilarious. And of course, that really doesn't have anything to do with our story, except for the quarantine side. He was able to read a good book. I've had things over this last, I don't know what it's been, five, six weeks, something like that that I've been able to do that I haven't been able to do for years. And so I, I sort of understand what Winston Churchill is talking about. Boarding the Augusta. So it's 9 a.m., August 9th, 1941. They are going to meet up in Placentia Bay. We arrived at our rendezvous at 9 a.m. on Saturday, August 9th. This is Winston Churchill speaking. And as soon as the customary naval courtesies had been exchanged, I went aboard the Augusta and greeted President Roosevelt, who received me with all honors. He stood, remember he has polio, so he, he lives in a wheelchair, and his son Elliot is beside him. He stood supported by the arm of his son Elliot while the national anthems were played, and then gave me the warmest of welcomes. I gave him a letter from the king and presented the members of my party. Conversations were then begun between the president and myself which proceeded more or less continually for the remaining days of our visit, sometimes man-to-man -man and sometimes in larger conferences. The bond in Christ. Now, many of us, when we, when we think about World War II, we forget that there is a, a sharp divide that is taking place here in, in many of these uh, issues. The, the Germans, though they are a Christian nation and a lot of Protestants in it, their leadership, the Nazi leadership, is not Christian. They are not God-fearing, and they have moved very off-center in that. And of course, Stalin is not a God-fearing man. I mean, communism is going to celebrate atheism. And so what we have is these two countries can relate on something, and that is that they are both Christian. And at this time, that was a significant thing. In our day, Great Britain and America, that wouldn't be the bond, uh, and it would be common political purposes, but not necessarily common spiritual purposes. So I'm going to call this the bond in Christ. Now remember, this is called the fearless fellowship. I'm linking this with the body of Christ. I'm saying that there comes a time where it is, and is essential that the body begins to meet face to face, even at great risk. So the bond in Christ, Sunday morning, August 10th, 1941. So this is Winston Churchill. On Sunday morning, August 10th, Mr. Roosevelt came aboard the HMS Prince of Wales with his staff officers and several hundred representatives of all rank of the United States Navy and Marines. 
attended divine service on the quarterdeck. This service was felt by us all to be a deeply moving expression of the unity of faith of our two peoples. And none who took part in it will forget the spectacle presented that sunlit morning on the crowded quarterdeck. The symbolism of the Union Jack and the stars and stripes draped side by side in the pulpit. The American and British chaplains sharing in the reading of the prayers. The highest naval, military, and air officers of Britain and the United States grouped in one body behind the president and me. The close-packed ranks of British and American sailors completely intermingled, sharing the same books and joining fervently together in the prayers and hymns familiar to both. I chose the hymns myself. For those in peril on the sea and onward Christian soldiers, we ended with, O oh God, our help in ages past. Every word seemed to stir the heart. It was a great hour to live. Nearly half those who sang were soon to die. I had a something about this scene that stirs me. It's dangerous. It's audacious. And they all recognize that they are giving up their lives. They are risking something. And they recognize that the risk is worth it. When you go to war, you know that you're risking something. And so as a result, the risk isn't what we fear. We fear not doing something. We don't fear dangers and difficulties. We're Christians. We're clothed in the armor of God. We will last on this earth every second that God has assigned us to last. Therefore, our lives are in his care, and we live as such. So I'm going to take a little clip. Uh, this is the lyrics for, for those in peril on the sea. I could have done this for all the hymns that they sung, but I just want you to reflect upon what they were singing on that quarterdeck on the Prince of Wales. Eternal Father, strong to save, whose arm has bound the restless wave, who bids the mighty ocean deep its appointed limits keep. I owe here when we cry to thee for those in peril on the sea. O Christ, whose voice the waters heard and hushed their raging at thy word, who walked on the foamy deep and how amidst the storm did sleep, Oh, hear us when we cry to thee for those in peril on the sea. God, you're the one that walked on waves. You're the one that slept in the midst of storms. Show us how to follow you on the sea. I mean, here they are on two massive ships. I mean, this is an incredible picture. Talk about a great application of singing that song. So here's what the writer of Hebrews says. Hebrews 10, 23 through 25. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Now, I'm going to stop there for a second. It's in the middle of a flow. There's a comma. I'm not supposed to just stop. I'm supposed to continue, right? It says, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Let us consider one another. See, what a COVID-19 season does is oftentimes gets us to consider ourselves. That's, I would say that's the number one bait that we are all dealing with right now is our own toilet paper, our own health, our own safety, and we're not considering one another always. But this is how the body of Christ functions. And you know that it's very difficult to consider others. It's one of those out of sight, out of mind. Out of proximity, out of mind. Out of fellowship, out of heart. In other words, it is critical that we engage with one another so that we stir one another up to love and good works. Okay, now I'll continue. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, 
Now, I'm not going to diminish the fact that our gatherings on Zoom have been an assembly. They are. It's an assembly of sorts. You know, when you're staring at a block with just someone's name on it, uh, and have you seen those where someone replaces the back with sort of the green screen thing, you know, and someone's in the tropics? You know, there, there's some fun things that we can do that we can't do when we're gathering together. If I'm sitting in the church, I can't just stick a green screen behind me and fake uh, the fact that I'm in the tropics right now. In other words, there's limitations. Zoom opens up possibilities. But it also removes something very, very precious off the table that I want to preserve in and through this hour. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. And so you see capital D for day. And what's interesting is if we were to look at this, uh, you know, and you were to use World War II terminology, and, and, and recognize you almost have Winston Churchill and uh, Theodore Roosevelt talking. It's unwise for us to meet in Placentia Bay. I mean, we're both going to risk our lives if we're going to do it. However, the day is approaching, whether that's Pearl Harbor on December 7th, 1941, which is just around the bend, or whether that's D-Day that's going to be coming up in 1944. You see these different things that are on the horizon. There are greater trials up ahead. And yet, as the day approaches, let us stir one another up. We need to meet face-to-face, -face, Churchill. Would you be willing to meet in Placentia Bay? And so for us as the church, what's our placentia bay? How can we gather? What is our creative means? May God give us wisdom in such a time as this. So there's five key kissing verses I would like to emphasize here, and I'll bring these up every now and then, just because I don't want us to allow the culture to define our behavior. I want Christ to define our behavior. Now, Granted, I'm not much of a kissy sort of person. I didn't grow up in kissy Christianity. And so as a result, it's a little odd for me to do this. But I want you to recognize the difference between this and where you see the pundits saying we're going to go, where six feet is going to be the normal social rule from now on. This will be our nor new normal in America. It'll be six feet apart from everyone because that's just wisdom. That isn't biblical wisdom. In fact, it's going to be very difficult to greet one another with a holy kiss. Let me, let me read. Salute one another with a holy kiss, Romans 16, 16. 1 Corinthians 16, 20. Greet you one another with a holy kiss, 2 Corinthians 13, 12. Greet one another with a holy kiss, 1 Peter 5, 14. Greet one another with a kiss of love, 1 Thessalonians 5, 26. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. You see... The world is not taking into consideration that God knows hygienic standards. He knows how to protect the human body because he made it. He's the same one that walked up to a leper and healed him and violated what the CDC back in early uh, you know, first century would have said he shouldn't do. I'm here to tell you we are Christians first. And we heed the word of God. That does not mean we show a dismissal to the government. We do not show a dismissal to direct orders, but we submit to the degree that we can in conscience. And then we appeal back. It could be the time for an appeal. I'm not saying for rebellion. I'm saying for an appeal to say, look, for us, fellowshipping is essential business. For us, in our conscience as Christians, we need to fellowship and we are fearless in our fellowshipping. We are not concerned about the virus. We're concerned about striving 
to love one another well and to shine a light because the world will know that we are disciples because of our love for one another. How can we show love for one another if we can't even get near one another? And so as a result, for us Christians, I think we classify this as essential. And as Luke says in Acts 2.1, they were all with one accord in one place. Now, I'm, I'm not a, against the fact that we all couldn't, out of the worldwide church, fit into one building. And I'm not trying to even propose the idea. I'm just trying to sponsor the idea that gathering is always been a part of what we do as Christians. We've lived through peg, plague, plague and pestilence for generation and generation. And the God of ages past has always been our shield and our buckler. And even if we do die while we stand for truth, praise God, it's a doorway into the presence of God. We do not fear these things. We desire to follow Jesus and to love one another well, to stir each other up unto love and good works. Winston Churchill, the profound and far-reaching importance of what came to be called the Atlantic Charter was apparent. So Roosevelt and Churchill are going to come and land upon an agreement, and it's called the Atlantic Charter. The fact alone of the United States still technically neutral, joining with a belligerent power and making such a declaration was astonishing. The inclusion in it of a reference to the final destruction of the Nazi tyranny, this was based on a phrase appearing in my original draft, amounted to a challenge which in ordinary times would have implied warlike action. Finally, not the least striking feature was the realism of the last paragraph where there was a plain and bold intimation that after the war, the United States would join with us in policing the world until the establishment of a better order. What I thought about the whole while I was reading this is I was thinking about all, this, all the different denominations. Great Britain and the United States are very different denominations. They are. And it, it is almost humorous. I mean, these two have been at war. Remember the Revolutionary War? I mean, these nations haven't just always gotten along. They both may be Christian, but they don't always agree on how to live that out and what's appropriate as being a Christian nation. We have the same thing today. And yet what I'm seeing here is this Atlantic Charter. We need an Atlantic Charter. We need to come together as the body, not just our individual fellowships, but the body of Christ at large. We have something in common. We have a common foe. And we want to see his destruction. We want to see sin quashed in this generation. We want to see the righteousness of Christ realized. We want to see the gospel of Jesus Christ pressed into all corners of this earth. We want to see his kingdom come and his will be done on this earth as it is in heaven. We all desire the same thing. We desire Jesus to be seen in every knee to bow and every tongue to confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Father, give us wisdom as the church of Jesus Christ. I don't pretend to know exactly what we should do, but I do know what we need. And I do know that something is essential and I feel it deeply in my being. Lord, I want to move forward towards your ends. Show us as the body of Christ how to do exactly that. It's in the precious name we pray. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder is delivered live and streamed daily weekdays at 8.15 a.m., weekends at 9.15 a.m. Join us at live.ellersley.com. 
we invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellerslie.com. Thanks for listening.